Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, the Papua New Guinea Hunters season is over. And we talk with sprinter Jeremy Dodson about his first year running for Samoa and competing at the Olympics. But first, the Rugby World Cup is less than a week old, but there's no shortage of talking points. Fiji were beaten by hosts England in the opening match of the tournament. Tonga were upset by Georgia and Samoa got the Pacific on the board with victory over the USA. But as Radio New Zealand rugby reporter Barry Guy explains, there was one game in particular that got everybody talking. That Japan game, Eddie Jones, he's a bright spark, that Australian, and he managed to roll over the South Africans. I'm pretty sure that a lot of the betting agencies weren't even allowing you to bet on, uh, you know, who would, who would win that game. It was so, it was so clear-cut. Well, I know a lot of the New Zealanders were, there's a special bet you could have here of picking all the winners, and that more or less uh, blew all of their chances. The opening game, though, Fiji against uh, England, you just thought on the performance of uh, uh, Fiji, they sort of seemed to be a little bit jittery, made a few mistakes early on, and I suppose, you know, that allowed England perhaps to get into it a bit more. In a game like that, when you're up against a team like that, as Japan did, you kind of need to take all your chances, really. And they had a couple, um, I mean, England generally seemed in control of the game, although... You know, after the yellow card early, uh, Fiji did sort of fight back. And if Nicola Matawalu had, you know, got that runaway, um, you know, something like a 40, 50 metre dash from the halfback, uh, and he, of course, was the one that was yellow carded, um, then, then that could have been a very interesting set of affairs. A phenomenal try to Namani Nendolo. I mean, that's, that's what he's done for the Crusaders for the last couple of years. You know, he's such a big man to get up so high. You know, that was an impressive try from them and a special moment. Um, you know, we've been discussing in the office here, uh, very unlucky that last try. You know, Fiji played pretty well, so to for England to get the bonus point basically at the death there was a bit bit harsh on them. 35-11, um, the scoreline perhaps doesn't quite reflect how close Fiji were. They they, they played all right. There's plenty to uh, to work on, and I guess the thing is it doesn't get any easier because tomorrow morning they play Australia, and of course uh, Wales also in the pool. Um, the one thing perhaps in their favour against Australia is even though it's a five-day turnaround, um, Australia haven't played yet, so uh, whilst they'll be fresh, uh, Fiji have a game under their belt. They've made a few changes. Um, they're into the tournament now, so maybe Australia will be a bit rusty, having last played, I think, three weeks or so ago against the United States in a warm-up game. So uh, the other Pacific Island teams' uh, first weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a mixed weekend. Um, Samoa were the only Pacific team to get a win, uh, a solid victory over the USA, where they were out to 11-0. Uh, Tuesday PC kept slotting... Uh, the penalties and uh, a couple of tries there uh, just you know kept them in front. And the US are, are not a bad team, you know they showed against Australia for a little while in that warm-up game, and um, they've had some decent results in recent years. You know there's a lot of investment going in over there to the game to get the win first up. I mean that's all you really want, and and that's what they've got. So as it stands, Samoa are actually on top of Pool B. They've got uh, obviously South Africa this weekend, and you know everyone's expecting now the wounded Springboks to be. Uh, to come back, you know, with a vengeance sort of thing. So that'll be an interesting game, I guess. In many ways, Samoa might think that uh, the 
Japan didn't do them any favours. So after you know the two lots of matches, if Japan managed to get over Scotland tomorrow morning, they'd be unbeaten with two wins at, at the top of the table there. So yeah, that really is a uh, an interesting group now, isn't it? Because you know. Japan would, especially if they beat Scotland, they would be expecting to beat the USA mm. on the rankings that are ahead of them. And, um, with, and three wins would more or less get you through, wouldn't it? Should, it should put them through. And of yeah. course, this is the team that up until this tournament had only ever won one game at the World Cup back in 1991 against Zimbabwe of all countries. Mm. So, um, when does, when, so when does Samoa play Japan? Is that, would that be their last game, is it? I, th- I think Scotland is their last game. Pre-tournament, everyone said for Samoa, the Scotland game is the right. big one because they're expecting to beat Japan, USA, and the idea being them versus Scotland is, in effect, a, a playoff for the quarters in its own right. So, um, But keep in mind, Scotland under New Zealand coach, New Zealander uh, Vern Cotter, have made solid progress in the last couple of years. They've had, mm. I know they've come... Just short in, against in a couple of big games and the Six Nations, etc. But you know they're not a bad team, and that's a very good coach. I do have some concerns for Japan. Actually, you know they they'll say no. There's no chance that we'll be, you know, living off that first result. But I think there is a a chance that will happen, and you know uh, the bubble may have, may have burst a little bit. I, I hope not. I'm I'm fingers crossed for Japan. But uh, you know, there you go. And then the other Pacific team, of course, Tonga, opening up against Georgia and. A lot of people expected Tonga to win this, and he talked about that uh, betting competition. Uh, this is one of the games that a lot of people tripped up on. They just never really got into the game. They, they had a lot of possession, a lot of territory, and they just couldn't break through the Georgian defence. I mean, they're not a bad team, Georgia. Again, another New Zealand coach, Milton Haig. Some of their front rowers play for top teams in the European leagues. You know, They've got a lot of professional players, and they're a big team. They're not an easy beat, although they are a team you would perhaps expect to beat. There were two moments, though, where Tonga seemed very unlucky. They scored, but it was not given. Uh, for for what was deemed a forward pass, and for the life of me, I can't see how it was forward. But you know, all the times they went back to the TMO against in the opening game, England Fiji, they didn't go back for this. They didn't check it upstairs. So um, that TMO has been a controversial uh, aspect of this first week of Rugby World Cup. And there was another moment too where they looked to have scored and, and were deemed uh, not to have, and it was quite unlucky. So. All Blacks, so they also had their fair share of uh, scares, Barry, against Argentina. Yeah, uh, uh, some people were quite critical of the performance. I actually didn't think it was too bad. Uh, the All Blacks haven't played for five weeks, and, you know, this is Argentina, and they play in the Rugby Championship now, and they've got a big forward pack. I thought the All Blacks actually played uh, a lot of the first half and definitely all of the second half very well. Uh, in the right end of the field, you know, they kicked for uh, territory and were able to put pressure on that. The concerning thing was for the All Blacks, perhaps a number of dropped balls, but that again can be, you can understand that with combinations after five weeks of not playing together. And really the only other uh, area of concern for me was uh, the uh, yellow cards, Richie McCaw for foot tripping and Conrad Smith for... Uh, illegal entry or right. using his hand in a in a ruck sort of thing um, so that wasn't too bad but they got through and they won and that's the main thing and they look pretty good they've got Namibia in their next game Japan may have pulled off the biggest upset in world rugby history but their chances of making the knockout stages could be impeded by its schedule their second match is against Scotland only four days after their win over the box Samoa had to play four matches in 17 days during the 2011 World Cup Eliota Fuimo Ono Sapolu played in that tournament and told Jim Mora on Checkpoint that smaller nations are still getting the rough end of the stick. I think the same thing is happening. It's very sad. They've had four years to sort out the scheduling and it's probably getting worse because they've tried to cover it up, but it's uh, become very apparent and a lot of journalists, especially a lot of English people, are actually tweeting and, and writing about it now because it's very cunning what they've done. 
Uh, it's it's worse. It's worse because they've you know now try to cover it. This time they've tried to spread out the rest periods. So the argument that Brett Brett Gosper was put forth was that uh, all the teams are relatively having the same amount of rest days, which is true to some degree. I think 22 is the most days rest, and about 19, I think, is is the least days. The Tier 1 teams, you know, I think about three or four of them do have short turnaround. So they do have a, a one game, and then three days later have another game. But all of their second games after the three-day break are against the lowest-ranked team in their pool. So Scotland will get USA after three days. France will get Romania after three days. New Zealand get Namibia after three days. And Australia get Uruguay after three days, and South Africa get USA after three days rest. So that's their short turnaround. All of the Tier 2 teams in their short turnaround, they get top 10 teams. So Japan have just played South Africa, and after their three days rest, they get Scotland. Romania will play France, and after their three days rest, they get Ireland. Fiji has just played England. After their three days rest, they've got Australia. Tonga have got three games in eight days. So they'll play their, they'll have a good rest, and then they'll play a a bottom, the lowest team, I think it's, um, it's the lowest team in their pool. Uh, it's not Georgia, it's an even lower team. Mm. And then they play Argentina after four days or three days, then New Zealand after four days and three days. So they get their top ten teams together, bang on like that. So it's very, very cunning. So all of the Tier 2 teams who have a three-day turnaround play top ten teams in the world. All of the Tier 1 teams that have a three-day turnaround play the lowest-ranked team in their pool. It's brilliant. We had a problem with scheduling in the last World Cup, 2011. They've gone and deliberately done this. So this, this isn't an accident. You don't accidentally schedule this stuff. This is purposefully done. Okay, so this is deliberate. This is match-fixing again, but it's a, it's a very cunning way to do it. And Brett Gosford actually came out, tweeted, no, everyone's getting the same amount of rest. Well, just have a look at the facts there. And it's great to see that a lot of British journalists are now tweeting this and writing about it and saying, hold up, look who the Tier 1 teams are playing in their turnaround and look who the Tier 2 teams are playing in. It's right there for everyone to have a look. Have you had a look at that schedule, you know, when you've been thinking about this and thought, I could work this out better so it is a lot fairer? Uh, Anybody could work this out so it's a lot fairer. How, How do you purposely give all the Tier 1 teams the bottom team the lowest ranked team in the pool and purposely give all the tier two teams top 10 teams it's this has been deliberately done that way how have Samoa done this time do you think in terms of their draw and uh, rest days etc Samoa have a very favorable draw and honestly a lot of that is because we kicked up a fuss in the last one we did not want to be treated like this again and as the saying goes you are treated how you want to be treated that's former Samoan rugby international Eliotta Fuimo Onu Sapolu Papua New Guinea Hunters rugby league coach Michael Maram says the team has plenty to be proud of despite a disappointing end to the season. The Hunters slumped to a 28-12 loss against the Ipswich Jets on Sunday in the Queensland Cup preliminary final. It was the second straight finals loss for the Hunters, who had gone 17 games without defeat in the regular season. Michael Maram says it was a tough way to bow out, but they will learn from it. It's uh, really disappointing to see, but at the same time, I mean, all our players are new to that level of football. Football, so yeah, we just made a lot of errors there. Obviously, you had a 17-game unbeaten run, and that got a lot of coverage. But you seem to be able to handle it quite well because you know there was a lot of focus on it for a long time. But when it came to the finals, you lost both matches. Um, did you notice a difference in intensity in the finals games? 
kind of football is a bit different. And also uh, the regular season games, uh, there were players that were not there during the finals. That made a difference. And yeah, not again, it was uh, away from us as well. And we had to travel two weekends for both games. So there's a lot of things we probably uh, achieved this year. And uh, that's just a positive sign for the uh, team in future. Yeah, you did go 17 games unbeaten. You did make the final series for the first time. You did get very close to finishing as the top team, and your Blackhawks, who are the current minor premiers, you beat them twice. So uh, there is a lot to look back on and be proud of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've got all those records now, so it's going to be sad to uh, not make it to the grand final. But now, semi finals, I think no one expected us to be that competitive uh, in our second season. So, you know, it's good. You mentioned uh, the travel was tough in the finals because you had to go back to Australia for both games. There was a little bit of uncertainty around why the Hunters didn't get to host a finals game. Do you, do you think that maybe played into it at all? Uh, yeah, I think it, it played a bit in our minds as well, but no, you just couldn't know the finals back here because of the court and everything, everything else. But next year, we are prepared for all those things to happen. Yeah. With the season now at a close, what have you learnt? What has the team learnt this season? What are some of the lessons that you take out of season number two for the Hunters? Consistency in our teams and the players' performances every weekend because we played really good Quality games this year, and we hope to uh, maintain most of our players for 2016. You guys are going to be in Port Moresby next season as well, so um, bigger crowds, more income. That must be quite an exciting prospect. You've obviously played a few games at Sir John Guy Stadium this season, and you were a part of the Nines team at the Pacific Games. Something to look forward to next year? Yeah, that's right. We have all our guests back in Port We are here now, we're taking up, so all the players leave tomorrow, and that's where we send the players away to see their families, spend time with them for six weeks before we get back in for off season. But would be good if we uh, confirm our camp for next year quickly so we can all prepare and uh, set up all our training gears and uh, equipment and stuff back in Mosby. That's the PNG Hunters Rugby League coach, Michael Marum. Jeremy Dodson is already counting down to his Olympic debut after a whirlwind year in which he made the switch to compete for Samoa. The 28-year-old was born and raised in the United States but has a Samoan mother. He says it's been a big year full of change, challenges and opportunity. You definitely have to be a CEO of your own company. This is the team of Jeremy Dodson and you add team players towards your team. And what I did this year was add coaches and add teammates and add support and staff. That's your family and that's what's going to help you and your company of Jeremy Dodson elevate to a higher level. It's an individual sport, but then you have counterparts that help that individual excel on the highest level possible. Your uh, formative years uh, and also high school and college uh, in Colorado, you're uh, based in Arizona, is it now, in Phoenix? Yes. How does Samoa come into the picture? Obviously, there's some heritage there. Uh, what's the background behind that and, and what led you to representing Samoa? So I was in the United States until this year. Um, I've always wanted to represent the United States. I'm American and... I never thought of changing countries until a lot of athletes, a lot of managers came up and said, it definitely makes it easier to make a team or to make the Olympics because of your high quality. And I, I always thought it was cheating to say, I always thought like if I run for United Samoa, it'd be easy to make the team, it'd be easy to make the Olympics. But people just kept reminding me that you, you are top 20 in the world. My mom hasn't been back home for about 30 years and she was really struggling with the fact of being homesick and not being home and a lot of family members growing old and passing on. So I tried to figure out what I could do and I chose to represent the country of Samoa in order that 
can bring my mother back home and link her heritage back to the family. She really loves America. She loves Samoa even more. But it was hard for her to teach us her country and her heritage and her culture. So me switching over to Samoa helped bring that link together, hopefully. Do you sort of feel like you've had a crash course in Samoan culture, although I guess you've always had some growing up? I've always had a little bit growing up, but this year was like the first year I actually went to Samoa and actually saw what was going on. So I definitely had a, a very quick crash course of the culture back there and the lifestyle and the people back there. And it was much different than I thought it would be. It's unexplainable. Being new to Samoa and, and now representing a new country, uh, having you know lived your whole life in the United States, um, what was it like at the World Championships and big events like that? Did you feel welcomed by your fellow uh, Pacific athletes, does it feel normal yet? Or was there a bit of trepidation maybe? Um, initially, they put us in the same hotel as the U.S. squad. So I get there and everyone looks at me crazy because I, I didn't put out like a huge announcement that I was running for Samoa. And so they were all they were all baffled. Like, I didn't see you at the U.S. trials. Like, what are you doing here? And, and at first I thought I was going to be like, you know, shunned off and be called traitor. But they all welcomed me still. The U.S. team is... I guess I made a great impression with the U.S. squad. So there were still friends there. With that, I was able to, you know, link out a little bit to the Oceana squad and help them out a little bit. So I still had USA holding me on still a little bit while I'm reaching out to Oceana. And eventually I made that connection to Oceana and, and I couldn't be happier. Even though there's there was only two people representing Samoa, it really felt like I was representing Oceana. And uh, at the World Championships, you made it to the semifinals of the 200 metres. Um, what was it like being there and competing? And uh, how did you feel about your performance? And, and, and what have you still got to come? I've been battling with knee problems and a lot of foot problems. This year, I didn't have as many competitions as I would have liked. So when I get to the World Championships, it's, it was kind of like there wasn't very much expectations going in. I had, uh, say, about a month month and a half of good training before that. The first round went extremely well. And then the semifinals, my body was just, you know, not used to running rounds and needed rest and needed a day. I was upset. Uh, my coaches were expecting finals easily. I was expecting finals because of what I can do, of what I've been seeing. So the fact that I did not make it out of semis, I was kind of upset. But then walking out, talking to everybody, everyone was excited that I just made it to semifinals. So I guess that was a huge step for Oceana, but for me, I know there was a lot more left in me. Was that your first major event representing Samoa? Yes. Oh, well, I guess I went to the Oceana Championships earlier in April and represented Samoa, but then this is the second time I actually put on a Samoan uniform. And of course, uh, next year looming very large is uh, Rio, uh, the the Olympic Games. Uh, no doubt that is an obvious focus for you. Uh, what are you, you know, working on? in, I guess, roughly the less than 12 months we have until that event. I got the qualifying center out the way, so that's something to check off. So now I can just allow my body to rest and then tune up and get ready to go. It's different than training for the U.S. where I had to train for the U.S. trials and really peak for that and then hopefully just get through that and then go on and train again and peak for Rio, where this year I can taper my training towards just the Olympics itself. To know that you've qualified, to know that you're actually going to be there and not have that worry and just to be able to sort of focus your energies as a professional athlete, you know, full time towards, you know, trying to get the best performance you possibly can uh, in Brazil, that must be very comforting and uh, 
you know, good for you in, in terms of, you know, preparation. I can breathe and I, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do myself. I qualified. I'm a, I guess you can say I'm a 2016 Olympian right now. So it feels, it definitely feels weird. <laughs> the whole goal for myself, just personally, is just make it the finals and hopefully be a medal contender next year. I don't really care about making it to the Olympics. I want to do something while I'm at the Olympics. That's the whole goal. That's the Samoan sprinter Jeremy Dodson. And that is the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. As always, thanks very much for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.